Welcome to Gathering Gold. This is Cheryl Paul. And I'm Victoria Russell. In our last episode, we talked about burnout and overwhelm and rest. And today we're balancing that out a little bit by talking about laughter and humor. And Cheryl, I think one of the most special things about this podcast is that people get to hear your laugh. Hmm. People who have been following your work, you know, reading your blog, maybe doing your webinars or your courses, they know that you have this really calm, kind, compassionate spirit. And you have this ability to walk with people into darkness and into the depths and to be with people in their pain. And that is so important. And I know from knowing you in life, from Mm. (laughs) spending time, you know, staying at your house and spending time together, that you have a great laugh. I remember that striking me like before I had really spent a lot of time with you. I think the first time I went to visit you in Colorado, Mm -hmm. I remember being struck by your laugh and your playfulness. And Mm. it feels like that's a part of you that's really important too. And I'm Mm. really glad that people get to experience that side of you through the podcast. I think it comes out because you and I know each other so well and we're in conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think that like you, I have this, this aura that comes off, I guess, of being like quiet. And especially as a little kid, I was really, really shy and quiet at school and outside of the home. But at home, I was a little ham. <laughs> like I loved to make my family laugh. I was the middle child. Maybe some of it came from wanting some attention or validation. I don't know. Um, Or wanting to be the harmonizer, the one who, you know, kind of uh, would just make everyone Mm. feel good. But I just, I love, my family really loves humor, funny movies, funny TV shows. And I used to just do voices and impressions and dorky dances. And (laughs) I would pretend that a vacuum cleaner was a microphone when I was like six years old and pretend I was a stand-up comedian Mm. in my bedroom. Mm. So humor is really important to me. And Mm. I feel like when someone sees my sense of humor or sees that I have a sense of humor or knows that I'm joking instead of assuming that I'm being serious, I feel really seen. And it usually means I feel very comfortable around Mm. that person and I feel more connected to them. And I feel like an intimacy and like, oh, they get me. Mm -hmm. And I think that humor also has just always really helped with my anxiety, Um, just helps to alleviate it. And you spoke in one of your blog posts a few years ago about humor and playfulness. And you talked about the role of humor and playfulness in our healing journeys. So I'm Mm. wondering if you might speak to that for a minute. Yes. So we can be so serious when we're doing inner work um, and it can become the project, the most important project. And I think it's so important that even while we're going into painful places and old places and shadowy places, that we remember to come up for air and connect to that place of lightness and playfulness and humor 
music and dance. And in fact, I think it's perhaps an under-discussed aspect of the healing process, especially when we're going into trauma, almost like the deeper the trauma, the more we need to connect to the other side of our inner child, the, the, the play and the humor and the lightness and, and the creativity just for the sake of being creative, not for anyone or anything. It's how we come back into our bodies and how we ground and how we connect and how we remember that we're not just those stories. That yes, we need to go into those stories in order to heal them and feel them and release them. But while we're doing that, it's so important that we anchor back into those, into the lighter places. I was thinking about how I have such vivid memories of funny teachers from my school days and you know, going to church as a kid, like the funny priests who would work little jokes and stories into their homilies. And and I was just thinking about all of these spiritual teachers in particular who use humor as a way to help us warm up and relax, which I think helps us open up and pay attention and relate to what we're hearing. And I think we even remember it better mm-hmm. afterwards. Mm-hmm. And so I was just thinking about all of these different teachers, like our beloved Pema Chodron. Mm. I feel like she just has really great delivery oh, so and timing. Funny. Yes. Yeah. Like she, she leaves these pauses and like just these perfectly placed pauses and tells funny stories. And mm. Tara Brock, the a Buddhist teacher and psychologist. She often uses funny stories throughout her talks. And James Martin is a Jesuit priest who tells a lot of funny stories as well. He wrote a whole book about humor, actually. Mm. Mm. And the Dalai Lama. um, (laughs) There is a great article I found that I'll share in our show notes about the Dalai Lama talking about the importance of laughter and playfulness and uh, they talked about him giving this talk and he put th- – there was like a, a wet washcloth for him to kind of cool himself down and he put it on his head and just left it there for like the whole talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, he just – he talked about that uh, it's good to to not have too much seriousness and to be relaxed and um, and that wholehearted laughter is good for you and good for your body and your heart. Mm-hmm. I love that. I can just see him with the washcloth on his head the whole time. (laughs) So funny. Yeah. Mm. Mm. It's interesting because as you were sharing some of this before we recorded, um, and I was reading through some of your notes and agreeing with every single thing you were saying, Pema Chodron and Tara Brock and Dalai Lama. And then I started to notice this insecurity coming up in me. And even just sitting here at the beginning of the recording, I'm, I'm feeling more, um, more uncertain than I typically do um, around this topic. Like if we're going to talk about jealousy or nighttime or morning and the highly sensitive person and transitions and all of these 
really juicy topics that we have delved into together, I, for the most part, feel like I'm right in the center of my seat um, and have so much to share. And this topic, I'm like, do I have anything to say? And <laughs> and as I you know listen to this list of incredibly wise teachers who use humor so beautifully and brilliantly, and I think about you know again people like Glennon, Glennon Doyle and Brené Brown who are so very funny in their delivery and their timing and their wit, and it it triggers this place of me of oh my gosh, I'm not that funny. Um, and I start to, I start to think about where that comes from and tracking it back to my childhood, um, and sort of the roles that we play in a family. Right. And so in my family, it was my dad and my older brother who were the funny ones who were cracking jokes and witty and had that kind of timing. And, and coincidentally, they were also probably not coincidentally, um, the extroverted ones. And, the less obviously sensitive ones. Whereas my mom and my middle brother and I were more quiet, more shy, more introverted, more sensitive. And yet when I thought about it even more, I thought, but the truth is I've actually had so much more deep belly medicinal laughter with my mom and my middle brother than I have with my dad and my older brother. So yes, my dad and my older brother can come out with those one-liners and those you know witty punchlines and um, they can, seems like they're the life of the party and they definitely make people laugh and they've definitely make me laugh. But like the, like 11 o'clock at night, staying up, you know, <laughs> delving into some topic or just some offhanded comment, those random moments that just make you crack up and lose it. That's happened more with my mom and my brother historically over the years, my middle brother. So it, it was an interesting chain of thoughts in my mind um, about where I went with reading, reading about those, those wisdom teachers um, and then thinking about my own relationship to humor and how I've thought about myself and even doing this episode. And, and then I was, I was getting ready for the episode and I was in the kitchen and there's Dave and Asher who are both very funny. And I said, okay, okay, you guys, anything? Do you got any notes, any ideas? Like last minute, am I going to go in in like an hour? And I'm like, look at Dave. I'm like, hey, say something funny. And he looks at me blankly. <laughs> and he's like, the thing about humor is you can't try to be funny on the spot. It just doesn't work. And I'm like, okay, but come on. Like, I know you've got something. And, and then Asher's like, I have a joke okay, great. And he tells this joke and his delivery is so good. And it's just one of those like, you know, off the internet jokes, but it's all in the delivery, right? It's mm -hmm. all in like the pauses and the timing and his intonation and his tone. I'm like, Asher, that's so funny. You, can you, can you come and be a guest? On our <laughs> show? <laughs> I'm like, you got to tell the joke. And he's like, no way. I'm like, Asher, I will pay you $10 to come <laughs> be a guest on this show. I'm serious. And he's like, nope. He's like, you tell it. And so I, so I try to tell it and I like totally forget the joke halfway through. It's like the tiniest, shortest joke. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, no, that's not the joke. And I'm like, but Asher, I'm telling you, I'm not going to be able to remember the joke. 
And so I'm like, I do it again. I'm like, here, I'll record it. I have to record myself. <laughs> and I'm going to tell the joke. Are you ready? <laughs> yes, I'm so ready. <laughs> I'm going to totally mess it up. Okay, here's the joke. <laughs> so stupid. Okay. Three goats walk into a bar and the bartender says, I'm sorry, I can't serve you here because you're kids. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was so funny when Asher said it. <laughs> it's like so not funny when I tell it. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh. But that's what I that's what I loved about walking into your home and seeing you crack up at something Dave said or something Asher did and like the faces they make. And I think that that is part of having a sense of humor. It's not just being Mm -hmm. the person in the room who delivers it, but Mm -hmm. being open to it and participating in it because it is a really social thing, you know, humor. I think I read a study in preparation for this, or I, I read an article that cited a study that I think it's something like people are 30% more likely to laugh at something if they're with other people. Mm -hmm. So if they're like watching something, you know, they're more likely to laugh if there's a laugh track or if they're with another person Mm. because it's so social. And it's like for that reason, it can either be this thing that makes you feel so intimate and so connected and so seen and and on the same page or on the flip side, it can be the source of so much pain and rejection mm-hmm. and embarrassment. And so mm-hmm. I love that you brought in how you were feeling about this whole topic because I'm sure so many people can relate to that fear of like, oh, but what if I'm just not funny and, you know, <laughs> what if everyone else is just better at this than me or whatever. Yes. And I love what you just said about like, of course, there's the deliverer, there's the joke teller, and that's only matters if somebody laughs, right? Yep. So it requires an audience and I'm a, I'm a really good audience. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I will say I've become a better audience over the years. Mm-hmm. And I think it, taps into this place maybe we'll we'll get into it a little bit more later but the connection between having a sense of humor whether you are the joke teller the deliverer or the the audience the connection between having a sense of humor and and being able to let go right? yes and being able to be present in the moment i've shared this before that in other contexts that my husband dave in my opinion is like one of the funniest people I've ever known. And yet for the first, so we had a window in the beginning when my heart was open and we were in more of like a, an easier stage of our relationship. And then all the fears and fires came up and we got into more of our negative cycle and then kids came along and then house and work and all of these stressors. And for years and years and years, I don't think I laughed hardly at all um, at, at his, maybe he stopped making jokes. I don't know. I don't know what happened to that part of our life, honestly. And then maybe 10 years in, it started to come back. And once that door opened, 
it just opened wider and wider and wider and wider. He makes me laugh, I would say every day, really hard. Like not like the hardest I've ever laughed every single day. I don't want that to trigger anybody. Um, (laughs) But he makes me laugh a lot. And I have to imagine that his sense of humor hasn't changed all that much, that it was it was probably mostly me just coming into a different stage of my life and a different place in our marriage and a different place in parenthood that has allowed me to, um, to soften, to let go, to let go of just places of control and hardness. So it's really, it, it, it strikes me as, as the social experience that requires a giver and a receiver in a way. And, and, and yet, you know, often those are interchangeable and you're just on this roll together and you're cracking up and making jokes and riffing on each other. And, and I I don't do that very well, to be honest, I'm not like the riffer, but, (laughs) but I try, I, I definitely try. But so often I am, I am the one who's laughing at, you know, at the joke. And what strikes me now is how often in my life I'm in the role of giver how much I'm in the role of, of offering, of giving, of teaching, of holding space, not just with my clients and my course members, but with my children and, and with my friends. And of course, there's tons of mutuality in my friendships as well. But it's a role that, that I cherish and how good it feels to be the one that's like not on. Yeah. You know? That's just like gets to laugh at the funny jokes. Yes, I love that. And I think it's so helpful you've named all these different pieces from some insecurity to family dynamics to relationship anxiety stuff Mm. that I think all of those pieces can come up for people. Oh, yes. (laughs) You know better than anyone. Mm. I think that as much as humor can be something that brings us so much joy and relaxation and and stress relief and enjoyment, it can also be a source of pain because it's like a tool that can be used for great things or mm. used as a weapon. Yes. And I know for myself, like I, I, I was thinking back on being a shy, quiet kid especially in elementary and middle school, but even into high school. And I just remember inside jokes were huge in middle school. It was like, <laughs> if you had an inside joke at someone with someone, you were best friends. And to have mm-hmm. a best friend, you had to have inside jokes. And that was your guarantee that this was a best friendship. And if someone's inside the joke, that means there are lots of people outside of the joke, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was this kind of exclusive thing. Yes. But sometimes there would be something that happened and it was the best when it was just something really silly. Like no one was the butt of the joke, mm-hmm. but something happened and the entire class was in on it. Like it, everyone saw it happen. Everyone thought it was funny. Everyone was laughing. And for the rest of the year, we had this thing to return to together. We had this like new secret language of remember the time that thing Mm. happened. Mm -hmm. And I remember just feeling so inside when that would happen. Like, oh, I'm part of this. And we have this shared language and this shared experience and no one's getting hurt right now. Mm -hmm. But I know for a lot of people, 
a lot of sensitive people as kids, sometimes humor was like a really scary thing because it could be really hurtful, especially if adults were being sarcastic or kids at school were teasing and laughing. And I have memories of being really sensitive and then being laughed at for crying, like getting teased Mm. by some kids I spent time with and then them laughing at me for crying. I think it's one of the deepest sources of pain, actually, because it cuts to the heart of the highly sensitive person in terms of not feeling enough, feeling broken, feeling on the outside. And and then being judged under sort of the guise of, I'm just being funny. What's wrong with you? Can't you take a joke? Yeah. I remember that in my own life. I can't think of any specific examples, but it's like a sense memory in my body of, actually, I do remember. I remember in seventh grade, um, which was a very hard year for me. I've talked about in other podcasts, transitioning into a new school in junior high and having a new friend group and being at my friend's house and having a sleepover. There were probably four or five of us there. And I mean, this kind of humor I would hope would never fly today. I, I think it probably would, but it's somewhere. It would. It still happens, but... It certainly wouldn't happen publicly, but they start, one of the girls who was like the most mature one and sort of the ringleader started to make fun of my name and mm-hmm. she started to call me Cheryl Palsy. Oh. And then laughing, laughing, and then getting the other girls laughing, laughing, Cheryl Palsy, Cheryl Palsy. And on so many levels, I did not think this was funny. Mm. And yet there was, and then because I didn't think it was funny, that was the additional layer of what? Can't you take a joke? We're just being, Mm. we're just being silly. And I can remember being in her bedroom like it was yesterday. I can remember the, the sense of loneliness and being on the outside and being targeted and feeling humiliated and already struggling so much socially that year. And then... And then to have this sort of, ha, 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 you're now the butt of the joke. And if you would laugh along with us, maybe you could be on the inside. Mm. But because you're not laughing, it makes you even more on the outside. And I think this kind of stuff happens all the time socially, like every day in school for kids. Like yeah. making fun of someone, laughing. It's not funny. There's there's a barb in there. And then further annihilating the kid by saying, what, can't you take a joke? Especially when you're a highly sensitive kid. You know it's not right to make jokes at other people's expense, whether it's race, sexuality, ableism, right, gender, anything. And yet what it would take for a 12-year-old or even a 16-year-old to say something. When humor is used in that way, especially around a specific group, what is it masking? What is it hiding? 
what is what is trying to be expressed there through the very poor mm. channel of humor and then going into a family culture how much humor can be used in certain family cultures not always um to defend to protect against to avoid mm. I have clients who share quite frequently a client, different clients will share that in their family growing up, there was a sort of family motto of laugh so you don't cry. Yes. And it's, it's not, if I didn't laugh, I would cry. It's laugh so you don't cry. Mm. So it's this really defensive, actively, fending off the grief, the pain of life, everything that we talk so much about in this podcast. Highly sensitive people are so in tune and in touch with the loss and the change and the death experience of being human. And yet to grow up in a family that is actively defending against that with humor, laugh so you don't cry. It's such a difficult place to navigate as a child, highly sensitive child, to know, but there's so much grief in this field. There's so much pain here. Mm. And nobody's talking about it. And in fact, they just keep making jokes. And I think it's just so interesting, the juxtaposition of a wisdom teacher like Pema Chodron using humor versus a family where humor is the only option. Mm. It just shows that like it is such a helpful tool. It is great to alleviate things, to break a tense moment. Yes. But if it's your only tool, you have to have laughter and tears. It's it's laugh yes. and cry. Yes. It is a both and. relationships. I think it's a very common theme for people who are struggling with relationship anxiety to have these fears around my partner isn't funny enough or we don't have the same sense of humor or my partner is too silly and goofy Mm -hmm. and I find it annoying and unattractive. It's a big spike. I think it goes to show how important humor is in our lives. So I'm just curious to hear more from you about how that spike shows up for people in their relationships. Yes. Huge spike. My partner isn't funny enough or my partner isn't witty enough. So as always, the overview with relationship anxieties, it can hang its hat on any variety of hooks and it can start out with the funny witty one and then it can jump to some other one. But when it's, and, and all of it is a colossal giant defense against the risk of, loving and being loved, the risk of being vulnerable in relationships. Of course, the big caveat, this only applies when you are in a loving, healthy, basically well-matched 80% relationship. So my partner isn't funny enough. Often links to, it depends on how it shows up. So for a lot of people that shows up only when other people are around. 
And so then it points to that place of really caring what other people are thinking, um, externalizing your sense of self-worth and self-trust. My partner is a reflection of me. And so if my partner's super funny, then that reflects well on me and somehow elevates me in the eyes of others. And I think this often goes back to middle school, high school years where we're very much concerned with what other people are thinking and um, having a you know hot, funny boyfriend or girlfriend <laughs> could elevate your social status. Um, and so we carry that, that template with us. And when that's the case, when somebody is perseverating on this theme and yet it only shows up in the company of others, I will often ask them, if you were on a desert island and it was just the two of you, would you think, would you be worrying about whether your partner is funny enough? Right? And they'll always say no. And that's a great question for any variety of relationship anxiety hooks. Um, it, as with many other hooks, it can be a projection. My partner isn't funny enough. The projection, the inverse being, I'm worried that I'm not funny enough. So the enough piece, whether it's attraction or humor or sexuality or education or intellectual capacity, whatever it is, um, is often in the inverse of I don't feel enough in some way. And then it gets projected outward. One of the big pieces is how it links back to family culture, family values, growing up in a culture that reveres humor, that sees humor and wit and sarcasm as sort of a barometer of of worth, that you are seen as you know a more valuable member of the family, not that anybody would necessarily use those words, but that would be the message. If you are witty, you know, if you know how to tell a joke, if you know how to read the room and observe and say just the right thing at just the right moment that gets everybody laughing. And so when you come from that family value system and humor is relegated to among the top qualities, characteristics, right? In some other family, it might be intelligence, intelligence in quotation marks in the form of level of education, let's say, right? You can only date somebody who has a bachelor's or a master's or a PhD, but when it's humor, it's this is how I have been valued. And so, of course, I would need to see this in my partner because it's a measure of value. And if my partner isn't that sort of typical witty bantering type, are they good enough? Are they going to be seen as good enough in the eyes of my family? And so that requires a real breaking down of worth and value, being very honest about the family coat of arms that you have inherited? And do you subscribe to that? Do you really believe that humor and wit and sarcasm are measures of worthiness? It's also, like I said earlier, your partner might be the funniest person in the world. And if you are caught behind your own walls of fear and judgment, you're not going to find your partner funny at all. And so the problem isn't the lack of humor, right? The problem is are the fear walls that come up and, and protect you. They're there to protect you, but that need a certain kind of attention so that they can soften 
so that you can start to let go. Let yourself crack up. Let yourself, you know, be seen. People have a lot of fear, interestingly, around similar fear around crying in front of other people. Mm-hmm. How, what do I look like? And my face gets all squinched up and, and my cheeks get all red and my eyes get all puffy. And it's the same with laughter. Like if you look at people when they're cracking up, like their faces are like distorted. You You lose control. You don't have control. control. You lose control. So it's connected to our relationship to control. And highly sensitive people tend to be highly controlling people, not necessarily in the ways that we think of that word controlling, but because we are so connected to the groundlessness of life, we latch onto anything that will give us some sense of ground, anchor, control. Um, and it can be really hard to, to release, to let go, to be soft and vulnerable enough in the present moment that you can, you can let go and, and to trust, like to trust that the person that you're laughing with isn't going to turn around and make fun of you for laughing mm-hmm. or point out like your face looks weird or, you know, something, <laughs> something horrible like that. You know, that's so interesting when you were talking about the family culture. I also think in the wider culture, we see in a lot of books and movies and TV shows that witty banter is like a prerequisite for, hmm. oh, that couple is meant to be together. Like that's yes. that's how you know because when they introduce them, you know, even if they're not getting along, they're not getting along in this like witty, bantery way. Yes. So I think we also take it in there. And and it's it's so interesting because I've also – I've had this pop up in my relationship where Martin can be very silly and goofy and my reaction to him being silly and goofy has so much more to do with me and my Mm. levels of anxiety and openness or closeness. Like you were saying with Dave, it's not like that he changed. It's like, what state am I in? Yes. And what sort of meaning do I put on it if I feel annoyed or irritated? What, what, you know, can I take a step back and what else is going on? And maybe I am annoyed or irritated with him about something else, you know, that needs to be addressed. Yes. I think that witty banter piece is important to highlight again, because you're so right that that's what we see depicted quite often in popular culture. And I think we have this expectation alongside being head over heels, madly in love, attracted 24-7, amazing sexual chemistry that you are supposed to add to the list. You're supposed to have this witty banter where you just go back and forth and you read each other's minds and and you riff and you and you improvise and one person's comment is wittier than the last and and it's just back and forth and back and forth. And maybe not necessarily even like deep medicinal belly laughing. It's right. like it's a different kind of ha-ha kind of funny, like a fun kind of funny, um, which, you know, 
like everything else, some people are going to have it and some people aren't. It, there is no correlation between having witty banter in a relationship and the success of that relationship. No, because I think it's a performance a lot of the time. I mean, first of all, those things are written by comedians. <laughs> yes. You know? Let's just state that. <laughs> yes. But even in my own life, like I know when I've had kind of like that back and forth with someone, it was it was a performance that I could not keep up all the time and wouldn't yes. want to. And um, what I think is really interesting about kind of the what might come up when you're like, oh, my partner's too silly or goofy. I know you've talked about sometimes that can be really about how were how was your silliness or goofiness treated? So mm-hmm. maybe in your family, you know, we've talked about being in a family where humor is all that's allowed and there's a lot of sarcasm maybe and the sensitive one is kind of the canary in the coal mine that's like, hey, yes. there's a lot of pain and grief here and this hurts and people are hurting and yes. this isn't cool. And, and But they are kind of the outsider. But then on the flip side, I think there are times when someone might feel like their silliness or their goofiness is too much or it's weird. Maybe that got made fun of in your family or at school or, mm. you know, that is a source of pain of, of maybe that part of you wasn't accepted. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think it taps into or ties into this idea of normal and this idea of cool. Yeah. That if you're a sillier, quirkier person and you lean toward like the dorky, like you doing the dorky dances at home, you know, <laughs> that, that you kept that for your home environment, right? You yeah. weren't about to bring that dorky dance to school, right. <laughs> you know, and yet as adults, like watching a show, it's always that dorky person that makes us crack up so yeah. much, right? Like yeah. we just love it as adults when people are that vulnerable and don't care yeah. what other people think and are quirky and silly. But yes, if if the spike is my partner's too silly, um, they're so goofy, it likely tracks back to your relationship to silly growing up and how that was met or most likely not met, mm. made fun of squashed, judged. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's so vulnerable to laugh. It's also so vulnerable to be the one delivering the joke, yes. Yes. right? Um, which I know much less about, but, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I, I sort of watch Dave and I observe and it's not like every single thing he says that he's trying to be funny lands, right? It's like right. sometimes he'll say something trying to be funny and like the three of us just sit there and stare at him. <laughs> no, nobody laughs. And and then he usually says something really funny. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess, you know, <laughs> that didn't go over very well. Um, but it's vulnerable, right? It's super vulnerable to to try to make people laugh, to be the funny one, and also to be the one laughing. And I, I think about the highly, highly sensitive people in the world who 
um, and this has come up with my own kids from some so early on in their lives, extremely sensitized to even the remotest possibility of being made fun of. Yes. And so even if like Dave or I were laughing and just in like good humor or just because they're so cute or it's like this incredibly heightened sense of the fear of being humiliated. Yes. And how that can cause people to protect, shut down, retract, not take that risk of being funny. Because like you said in the beginning, when somebody gets your humor and sees you as funny, it's this huge way of feeling seen. Conversely, um, and this was happening a lot last year when Asher was new at a school, everybody was new in sixth grade, less so this year it seems, where he would bring his wit and humor and nobody would laugh. Yep. And <laughs> such a horrible feeling. Yeah. Right? Of like, no, people don't get me. They just don't get me. Right. And now it seems like there's some warming up happening there and he's he's getting more laughs, but but it's it's so vulnerable. It is so vulnerable. It's such a risk. And I I think about too how there's so many factors like for people who are who are neurodiverse, who, you know, maybe have a harder time picking mm. up on whether someone's joking or figuring out if it's a good natured joke or not. I have someone mm. in my life that I'm close to who just was burned so many times by Ugh. by bullies and even bullying teachers that he went to a college class and the teacher he was a little bit late because he got lost and the teacher made some sarcastic joke mm. about like well you should just leave then and he left oh and he was humiliated and he was so angry and i felt that pain i feel it in my body right now oh, the me too. anger that i feel mm. And I can feel that sense memory of being a kid and having an adult like make a sarcastic joke and just feeling so little. There's such a power dynamic there. Yes. But there's also, I think, there's different cultures, you know, like depending on the language you speak, the place you're from, mm. the time, the generation that you're from, we're going to find different things funny. And my boyfriend, Martin, his parents are from Ireland and they moved here as adults and- you know, he was raised by these older Irish parents. They were they were both older when they had him. Mm. He grew up with a lot of Irish family around and spending summers in Ireland. And I think in Ireland, there's like a very dry type of humor and mm. there's a lot of defensive humor. Yes. This is my understanding. If you're Irish and you're listening, feel free to let us know <laughs> if this is correct. But um, so there's a lot of dry humor in their family and in Ireland. I definitely experienced it when I went to visit his family. Mm. And one time there was this, this thing that happened with Martin. I Martin did a couple of days on the Appalachian Trail, uh, just backpacking on his own a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And I went to pick him up after he had spent a few days on the trail by himself. And he's, you know, like covered in dirt and he's got like leaves in his hair and he's carrying his backpack. And he had had a great trip, but he was looking a little... <laughs> like he had been in, in the woods for a few days. Yes. And we, 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 we go to a Dunkin' Donuts so he can get some coffee and we're waiting in line. And this woman comes up and says, oh, excuse me, I just have to um, talk to them really quick. And she kind of cuts in front of us because she had gotten her order and there was something wrong with it. And they just quickly passed her her coffee or whatever. And she goes, oh, I'm, so I'm sorry, as she 
as she goes to leave. And Martin turns to her with this really stern look on his face. And he has like his finger pointed and he's like, you should be. <laughs> and the woman looked so scared and just scurried away. And I was like, Martin. <laughs> we have this conversation a lot. I'm like, Martin, strangers don't know you. Strangers don't know that right. you're joking, that you're being right. that you're being really deadpan. Like they just take it at face value because they don't know you. We have this conversation all the time where I'm like trying mm. to translate jokes mm, to other yes. people because I'm so worried about them yes. having their feelings hurt or thinking that he's just a mean guy but really he yes. can just be alongside with me being very silly and goofy he can yes. often be very deadpan mm. Mm. so I just think that's also an interesting example of like different cultures and how mm-hmm. if you and your partner if you feel like oh we don't have the same sense of humor I actually think it's a really interesting opportunity to learn like to learn about a different family or an entirely different culture and like what's funny and why. And to, I don't know, it doesn't mean that you'll necessarily find all the same things funny, but I think if you have more curiosity and less fear of that Mm. difference, Mm. you can enjoy it a little bit more. I love that. It makes me, it makes me think in a different way about my early years with Dave and that maybe some of me not laughing was just because Maybe I just hadn't gotten his humor yet. I think I was. I was in a more fearful place in our relationship. But it makes me think about how he swears a lot. And, (laughs) you know, he comes from New Jersey. and I'm right there with him. (laughs) He's very, very (laughs) colorful. And I think he held that back for the first couple years. I don't remember it being so prominent in the early years. (laughs) And then it started to come out more. And then we had young kids and I was like, you're swearing so like (laughs) our kids are going to have these horrible mouths and I don't want them, you know? And, and I tried to like put a lid on it and I tried to control it. And of course that didn't go over very well. And, and also his sarcasm. I just, I didn't, I didn't get it. And I was very judgy about it. And then I don't, something just opened inside of me at some point. I don't know when. And I find his swearing so funny. I'm not a swearer. (laughs) Like, you know, like you just, when when anyone who knows me hears me swear, they're like, did you just swear? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm just not a swearer. And as it turns out, my boys are not swearers either. So (laughs) I didn't have anything to worry about. Um, and it would have been fine if if they are, but they're just not. They like almost maybe in response to him right. swearing it's so much. It's not forbidden. No, it's not forbidden, and they don't. It's just not words that come out of their mouths. <laughs> um, and I've I and and I've kind of started to like swear a little bit more. Like <laughs> I'm like, ooh, that's kind of fun. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so. It is a cultural thing. Like he comes from New Jersey. I come from Los Angeles. It's different coasts. He was raised Catholic. I'm Jewish. It's different kind of humor. And I think that there has been an opening and a softening to to how he expresses humor, right? And just how he expresses. Yes. But it didn't happen immediately, right? It was years and years and years and years and years of 
of unfolding and softening into this into this place where we are now. And I really think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I really think that if you are really concerned about being attracted to your partner 100% of the time in this very glamorous, sexy, Hollywood way, that that can really get in the way of appreciating silliness and goofiness and humor and laughter because like you said when we when we laugh or when we're making a joke it requires a lack of self-consciousness a, a yes. an ability to look really silly and not necessarily attractive and alluring even though there are many people who say like being funny is like the sexiest thing but i think that if attraction is a real hook for you mm-hmm. and you're expecting it to be a really certain way, I also think that it can be hard to appreciate that side of your partner or of yourself because the truth is that we're humans and sometimes humans are silly and messy and sometimes humans are gross and sometimes, you know, like yes. we're just, we are multifaceted and yeah, so that's that's all I wanted to mention on that. It's important and it makes me think of a couple of things, um, which is that in, you know, I love that we're doing this episode after the burnout and rest episode, because I think that humor is also part of our medicine right now in these very intense, turbulent, conflictual, uncertain times that we almost need humor, that it's, it's, um, it's one of the ways that, that we're going to get through this time. Um, and so when we can be irreverent, when we can just laugh at the whole thing, at the ridiculousness of like, you know, what, what we're going through and globally, personally, whatever it is, it lifts us above it. And it's one of the tactics for working with anxiety is when you can laugh at the anxiety, it goes away. Right. And we had talked about that, that anxiety, it's a humor is an anxiety buster and anxiety and letting go are mutually exclusive. So when you're in that letting go place, it's harder for anxiety to take hold when you're in an anxious state and you just try to laugh or just smile, um, not as a way to avoid and be in denial, but um, just as a way to break some of the seriousness, break through it. Yeah, And it makes me think about a man named Norman Cousins. Do you know about his work? The name is ringing a bell, but I don't think so. So I did a report on him in high school in the 80s. So we're going way back. And he (laughs) did a bunch of studies. And I think even on his own self on the healing power of laughter and I, and I imagine more studies have been done since then on the science of what happens physiologically, what endorphins, what serotonin, what's happening hormonally when we laugh. Mm. It's got to be such powerful stuff going through because you can feel what, like, what happens in your body when you connect to play and laughter and humor. Yeah. Yeah, I think about how in a relationship, like sometimes there's the partner who uses humor as a defense too much and they they have a harder time having a serious conversation, right? Yes. But then it can be so powerful. I think in my relationship, 
that's all Martin kind of falls into that camp more. And then I, I'm the one who can get really serious a lot in our relationship. Mm -hmm. And so when we have a moment of tension or conflict and I'm the one who makes a joke, Hmm. you can just feel the tension break and (sighs) you can just like our bodies open up and we can, then we're on the same team again. Yes. Yes. It's so powerful in those moments of tension when you can, of course, I'm never the one in those moments. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always Dave, and I'm so grateful. Because it also lets you know maybe it's not as serious as we're thinking it is. Right, exactly. Right? Maybe it's like not the end of the world, whatever we're locked horns about. Yep. Right? Yes. Yes, because if we're anxious, chances are we're not actually so great at risk assessment. (laughs) Yes. And we might be taking things, you know, a bit too seriously at times and thinking, thinking and thinking and thinking and really stuck in our heads. And usually breaking the spell, you know, with my patterns is when I can poke fun, when I can step back and see what I'm doing and really poke fun at myself in a, you know, a lighthearted way. Because also sometimes life is just ridiculous. Sometimes you know? just ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I think something that I that I really missed when I was even more isolated during COVID is that 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 level of laughter that comes when you're with someone else or other people mm. and and you're you're really tired and everything becomes really funny. Oh, it's the best. That is one of the best things because it's like so often humor is at someone's expense, but like mm-hmm. in those situations, it's really not. It's just like everything becomes funny. And I had that situation at the end of the summer. I went camping and hiking with my friend Liz and we hiked up this mountain and it was like, I think the hike took us, I don't know, most of the day. It was a long hike. And we had we were just coming down the mountain when all of a sudden these clouds rolled in and it started pouring and mm. we were getting soaked and the rocks were so slippery and i slipped and i fell at one point mm. and i wasn't hurt and i i just kind of kept going but when we got back to the car i was thinking about what i must have looked like falling and i was thinking about <laughs> speaking of cursing the way that i dropped an f bomb oh, no. <laughs> as i was falling <laughs> like it just suddenly just picturing what my face must have yeah. looked like like the panic that was in my body like the way that i landed yeah i'm cracking up thinking about it oh my god i and just I love i love how you can make your own self crack up I'm like <laughs> I know. And sometimes I really do. Like humor is social, but sometimes I really do uh, make myself laugh. And yeah, just in the car, I was I was like saying to her, I was like, thank you for not laughing at me when I fell. I don't know how you did that. And I just started crying laughing because I am someone who like, I don't want people to be hurt. But if someone falls and they don't get hurt, it is the funniest thing. (laughs) So... That's my tale of the sleepy time ha-has, as one of my friends uh, calls them. Sleepy time ha-has. 
Those are the best. I think those are, yeah, because you're already like drifting into that state where your defenses are softening. It's late. All the like ways that we hold ourselves up during the day and the personas, it just all starts to fall away. And then, yeah, when everything is, it doesn't matter what it is, just everything is funny. Yes. Oh, that felt so good. That truly felt like medicine. So good. Thank you, Cheryl. Oh, thank you, Victoria. I hope it's good medicine for anybody listening. I know. And I, I, if anyone wants to send us, you know, on Instagram or email, if you want to tell us something that cracked you up, I, I read a thread. I think it might've been on Glennon Doyle's Instagram. This was last year. So I don't even know where it was now, but it was just a thread of people talking about times when they were really socially awkward and the (laughs) wrong thing came out of their mouth. (laughs) And I was crying laughing reading that thread. So um, it's so good. Any stories like that, if you want to share, please feel free and we can laugh together. Yes. And Cheryl, if people want to find more of you and your work online, where should they go? My website is conscious-transitions.com and I'm on Instagram at Wisdom of Anxiety. And you can find me over at my other podcast, Perennials, or on Instagram at Perennials Podcast. And if you are enjoying Gathering Gold, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Rate it, leave a review. Your words are so encouraging and also help us to, to figure out what you might want to hear more from us. What what did I just say? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I just like I went off script and I totally got lost. <laughs> like I don't know why. I don't know why I went off script. <laughs> what were you even saying? I don't know. Oh, I just like lost it. I lost it. Ooh, I can do this. Take, take two. Okay. I'm going to stick to the script this time. Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> you can do it. Try again. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this is the thing I wanted to say, by the way, is when you have to be serious. Yes. Is like when the best laughter comes. Oh my like, gosh, you're so right. Right? When you have to, and there's something about the restriction and the expectation of ser- like when you're in class, like, oh my God, those times oh in class. Gosh. And in church. And in church. And you just can't <sighs> stop. And you're like, it makes so it- hard. Oh my gosh, everything becomes so funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I can do it now. And if you enjoy Gathering Gold, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, rate it or leave a review, or share it with a friend if you think they might enjoy it. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Good enough.